Jesus teaches, actually that's too soft, Jesus commands you to not worry and to not be anxious. So as I start this sermon, let me ask another question. Should we go back to confession and absolution? Because this is admittedly a difficult teaching of Jesus. He's saying, do not worry about your basic necessities. Do not be anxious when you don't have all the things that you might want. But because Jesus is also a gracious God, he teaches us how to help when we have these feelings of what I'll call discontentment. And he does it by teaching us how to pray. If you've been with us these last several weeks, we've been looking through what's called the Lord's Prayer. It's a Response to a question that the disciples ask Jesus. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We see something in your life, in your prayer life, that we don't have ourselves, so teach us. And the first couple of weeks, the first three petitions or requests of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, the focus has been on God and his majesty and his glory and his characteristic. But now we're turning the corner here and Jesus is teaching us how to pray for ourselves. He says, look, here are the spiritual things that you need. Here are the physical things that you need. And this is how you pray for those. The fourth petition is give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Now right off the bat, we have to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean by daily bread? Uh, when I was a kid, my parents taught me how to uh, say the Lord's Prayer. I memorized it about kindergarten, first grade. And if you grew up here at Our Father. If you've been in Sunday school for the last 36 years, we have a teacher here, Miss Diane, who has taught our kids in kindergarten how to memorize the Lord's Prayer. Some of you know it because of Miss Diane. But when I was a kid, whenever we prayed that prayer, I was thinking of daily bread like this. This was the only bread I knew. I lived in the day where we used to actually add GMOs to our food on purpose, like how can we make this as unhealthy as possible? I probably had a thousand peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with Wonder Bread. But what do you think of when you think of daily bread? Martin Luther, a theologian, a pastor, uh, ta taught this way, that this is what Jesus is talking about. It says daily bread means everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, that are about husband or wife, children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. In other words, according to Luther, our daily bread is everything everything, every good blessing, every possible good thing in this earth that you enjoy, that helps you sustain a meaningful life is really your daily bread. It's everything. And this makes a lot of sense. I mean, think about it. We go to the store, and if I go to pick out a loaf of bread, I go to the back, to the bread aisle, I pull off my loaf of bread, I go to the cash register, I swipe my credit card, I go home and I make my sandwich. But think of all that goes into that loaf of bread. First of all, you've got the worker at the grocery store who puts it on the display for you. You've got the truck driver who delivered the bread to you. You've got the people who worked and built the truck to give the bread to you. You have the factory workers who make the bread in the first place. You go back even further. We have a government that helps make our roads safe, plows it in the wintertime. We have a police force that keeps the roads of the law in force. Go back even further. There's a farmer who plants his seed. We have a 
workers of the field who tend to the crop. We have a larger government that protects our borders so that nobody can come in and take our land. And on top of that, the land itself, what does it need to grow a crop? You need rain, you need sun, and you need good soil. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that your daily bread is every good gift that leads to human flourishing, that helps you live day to day. Everything. Now here's the deal. Jesus gives us these things. Your heavenly Father, better said, gives you these things, whether you ask for them or not. You ever think about that? Like how many of you, you woke up this morning and you said, okay, dear Lord, uh, please give me two pairs of socks of the outfit I'm going to wear, my cereal, my milk, my spoon. We don't pray that way. In fact, we're so used to the blessings that God gives us that he just so generously pours out upon us. We go about our day. We can go about an entire day, a week, even a year, never thanking God for all the things that he so richly, lavishly spoils us with. He just gives it to us, whether we pray for it or not. So the question is, why is Jesus teaching us to pray it? If he's going to give it anyway, why bother to take the time to pray? Can't we just skip over it go to the next one? Well, there's two things. Number one when you give thanks or when you take note of something it helps you give thanks for it so when you ask god for your daily bread he wants you to actually think about what that daily bread is and it's a moment right here you could do it in your seats and you can take stock of all the things that god has given you the clothing on your backs the place where you lay your head at night your apartment your condo your house the vehicle you may have taken to get here the transportation that you took here all the different things you, you could stop right now and say thank you god for that that's part of it but there's actually scientific research that has gone on that su suggests this when you take stock of all the things that you have when you have an attitude of gratitude you're twice as likely to be happy and you're twice as likely to be content. And what did the Apostle Paul say to the young pastor Timothy? He said, contentment is actually a form of godliness. When you can rest in the things that God has given you, when you can have joy in your heart for the things that you have instead of worrying about the things that you don't have, it actually helps you get closer to God. Contentment is a form of godliness. And so this is why God says, look, I'm going to give it to you anyways, but I want you to pray. I want you to take stock of what you have because you're going to be happier for it and you're going to be more content. But maybe you've discovered, like I have, it's easier said than done. I think that is the case because too often, instead of praying for our daily bread, we are praying for our daily cake. And because God is generous, he gives us the cake, but then we get unsatisfied with that. We're like, God, could we have cake with frostings? Ooh, God, could I have a triple-layer cake? Ooh, God, could I have the ice cream cake that they have at Dairy Queen? Give it to me, God. Of course, I'm talking about when we start comparing ourselves to other people. You know, you might have a wonderful house. You might have a very nice apartment, but then you see somebody else who has more than you, and you start to want that. You may have gone on a great vacation, but then you see somebody else who went on an even better vacation. And you say, oh, why can't we afford to do that? I wish we could go on a vacation like that. You might have a wonderful car. It's reliable. It gets you to point A and B, but then you see somebody else who has a much better vehicle than you and you go, oh, man, God, I just want that. You see, this is asking God for our cake and eating it too, which is why this scripture here today that we have is so powerful because in it, Jesus is teaching us how to avoid that trap, how to be content and stay satisfied with all the things he's given us. 
And notice, as you read this, maybe some of you had a reaction of like, why is Jesus so harsh here? You notice he kind of offends them. He says, oh, ye of little faith. And then he gives a very hard teaching. He says, do not worry. It's a command. Do not be anxious. And you might be sitting there going, that's easy for you to say, Jesus, you're Jesus. How am I supposed to be that kind of person? Well, there's a theologian, a pastor by the name of Tim Keller. He's now with Jesus. He passed away earlier this year. And he says, when you're looking at a, picture, uh, a scripture passage like this, when you're hearing something from Jesus that's a little bit hard to digest and you might be a little offended by it, you have to remember that Jesus is a surgeon, not a general. Jesus is a surgeon, not a general. And to help you understand what he's talking about here, I'll tell you a true story. A couple weeks ago, I was not in a very good place. I, I had uh, very little empathy at the end of a week. Some stuff was going on, and I just didn't have a lot of patience. I didn't have a lot of empathy. It's Friday night. I just want to kind of enjoy my show and let the world's problems go away. Uh, my son, though, had just come back from basketball practice. And as it is so common for all of us in the room, let alone teenagers, something happened at the practice. Uh, he felt that it was a little bit unfair, and I felt that he was having a little bit of a pity party. So approaching his problem as a general, I pick up the remote on my TV and I say, show me videos of Gaza. <laughs> yeah. And my wife had the same face that many of you have uh, right now. Like, what are you doing? Look, a minute and a half goes by and I'll tell you this, he got the point. He says, fine, I get it. And he goes upstairs. Uh, here's the problem. All he wanted was a little bit of compassion. All he wanted was for somebody to hear the problems that he was having, but instead of being a surgeon like Jesus, I was a general, and I was like, look, just get over it. Life stinks, okay? What he needed was a surgeon, and this is what Jesus is doing to you, to I, today. Because you think about what a surgeon does, a surgeon actually does have to hurt you. A surgeon has to cut into your body to heal what's ever broken. He cuts, and it hurts, and she maneuvers inside. She, she takes parts out of your body. That's painful. But then like a good surgeon, they also heal you. They stitch you up. They fix what is broken. And so what Jesus is doing, first of all, is, yes, it hurts when he says, do not be anxious, do not be worried, and he calls us out for our lack of faith. And there's a lot of times, look, we have a lack of faith, and Jesus says, yes, you do. That's the cutting. But then he also brings the healing. Look with me, verse 30. He says that for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. And that is key. Notice the F in Father is capitalized. This is a huge comparison Jesus wants us to see. He's suggesting that, look, every nation in the world, every person in the world, whether atheist, agnostic, we all have faith in something. We all have our identity in something. We all trust in something. And what Jesus wants us to see here is, yes, everybody else in the world goes after these things and tries to fill their life up, try to bring meaning to their life, try to seek after all these things, but not you, because you have a father. And more importantly, you have a divine father. You know, we just saw this baptism a few minutes ago. Daniel was brought into the waters of grace. What we say, you probably heard me say it, is that he was adopted into God's divine family through that act. Nothing he could have done to earn eternal life, nothing he has done in this life to deserve that kind of lavish 
gift, but God just did it because he loves. And God did the same thing to your heart because he loves you. There is nothing more important in the world to your heavenly father than you. And yet we are worried. Yet we're still anxious. Maybe we doubt God's love. Maybe we're not sure about God's love. And if that's you here today, there is one last verse I want to show you. Uh, you can turn to it. I'll just read it to you. John six thirty five. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. There's that word again, bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, this is really interesting. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he was somewhat of a rock star. He had thousands of people who were following him. He was doing miracles. He was saying things that made people think that he was the coming king. He was going to take the land by force. And they were really attracted to Jesus until he says this phrase. He says, I am the bread of life. And his disciples and the people who were following him, they go, well, what do you mean, Jesus? And then he goes into this theological sermon and he says look i'm the bread of life and you're going to eat my flesh eat my bread and you're going to drink my blood you're going to drink from this cup and his disciples most of them sitting there in the room go what no we can't handle this jesus that is weird we don't understand what you're saying and they abandon him thousands of people left jesus on that day because they didn't understand what he meant i am the bread of life and his own disciples, the one who did stay, they didn't understand what he meant by bread of life until the very end of Jesus' life. And as you study scripture, you'll see Jesus uses the term father, talking about God. He uses that term father almost exclusively. Over and over, he says, my heavenly father. He says, we can call him daddy. He says, this is my dad, my heavenly father. All throughout scripture, except for one place. And that's on the cross. And you might remember, this is Good Friday. Jesus is on the cross. He is bleeding. He is dying. And in that case, he doesn't identify God as Father. Instead, he uses his formal name. He says, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Why doesn't Jesus say, Father, my dad, my father, my, my father, why are you forsaking me? No, he can't use that word anymore in that moment because he's giving up his sonship. In that moment, he gave up the right as the heir of the throne. He gave up his birthright. Why? So that you and I could be called sons and daughters of the divine Father forever. This is how you would gain access to all the company of heaven, to the throne, to the, to the heavenly kingdom, the store of blessing that Jesus has for us. He did it through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it was three days later, Jesus is in the grave. You've got to believe his disciples were filled with anxiety. They were filled with worry and doubt until they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And then they finally said, oh, I get it. That's what you meant by bread of life. Because he won for us eternity in heaven with him. And that, my friends, is how when we are faced with discontentment, the anxieties of this life, the worries of this life, we don't look inward, we look upward, we look to Jesus. Go back with me to verse 32. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Do you see how tender that is? Fear not, little flock. He's already been harsh, he's already done the cutting. Now he's bringing you close to himself. He says, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the what? The kingdom. 
It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God, your heavenly Father, is going to be with you. He walks beside you. And yes, there are moments when we wonder, God, are you out there? And we look to Jesus, remember what God did to win us to himself. And slowly but surely through this act of repentance, oh God, I'm sorry, I, I had this moment, moment lack of faith, would you please forgive me? And we look to Jesus and he welcomes us back in. And slowly but surely we can be a type of people who with great faith, but also with a great understanding of the grace of Jesus Christ, Pray to our Heavenly Father, give us this day our daily bread. And it's in the name of Jesus, died and risen for you, that we can say, Amen.